So it is February. Yes. <laughs> Happy Black History Month. Uh, yeah. I expect hugs from all of you by the end of the worship service, you know. Um, you know, uh, th this, uh, you saw a lot of people on, on Instagram saying that January was like the first five months of the year, like it was like the longest month ever, um, but now we are here in, in February. Um, and in January, if you've been with us, we have been talking about what does it look like to uh, cultivate our interior life or our inner lives. And basically what we mean by that is that um, we believe that it is important for us to lean into some spiritual disciplines, uh, spiritual disciplines that help us to be pious or holy. Uh, in the United Methodist tradition, there's a gentleman, his name is John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, who said that in order for us to live a balanced life, we needed to both uh, work on our personal piety and also social holiness. Personal piety being what are the spiritual practices that help check our hearts and our heads so that we, um, we really do look more like Jesus. Social holiness, how does it look like uh, in our lives that we actually engage with uh, the people around us and also our community? And the reason why we think it's so important for us to at least rest in thinking about building up um, our, our interior lives and doing some inner work is that if we do not check our hearts and also our minds, then sometimes we should be suspicious of what our output is. Here's um, a, a, two examples that I would share. If um, we don't have a great practice of self-examination and of reflection, how will you know that you serve out of the outpouring of who God is or that you serve because you want to be congratulated and you want everyone to know? But when you um, work on the interior life, then you're able to know when you may be leaning into ego or leaning into Jesus. Or, for instance, uh, when you are working on the interior or inner life, you might then know, am I just being quiet as a means of silence, or is my quiet a way of withdrawing from the world? And building up those spiritual muscles then help you to ask great questions about the way in which you navigate this world. But doing inner work is not something we stumble into. Doing inner work is something that we actually have to cultivate, and it's practices, spiritual practices of the church that help us to learn how to practice building up um, our head and our heart so that when our hands and our feet get married to our head and our heart, we're not so worried about if we're going to do damage or if we're going to do good. So we've talked about the practices of confession, naming the things that are off in our lives, and the practice of repentance, actually making moves, to a 180 and about face, that we don't just say sorry, but that our sorry comes with some plan of action and accountability. We've talked about what does it look like to be rooted to the, to, to the vine, that, to, to know that if, uh, if we're not connected to God and to, and to Jesus in some very real and tangible ways, we um, are going to just be unruly branches that might choke instead of flourish. And so that we need to always know the ultimate source that is helping us to be the people that we've been called to be. Last week, we talked about the practice of the daily examine. It's a five-point prayer that helps us to reflect on our day so that when we look back, we might hear how God wants us to move forward. Not looking back so that we can self-flog, but looking back so that we might actually lean into a better future for ourselves that God might be um, pushing us into. And then this morning, this is going to be the first of two sermons on Scripture. So today, we're just going to talk about what does it look like to see scripture as good and meaningful and necessary in our lives, and then next week, we will talk about what does it look like to actually approach scripture in, in a way that is humble, 
in a way that we are open, in a way that we actually take something away from God's holy word. So today we'll talk about feasting. Next week we'll talk about engaging. So I'm going to read our passage of scripture. It's a very interesting uh, story in the Old Testament from Ezekiel chapter 2, and then we're going to go into the first three verses of the third chapter. After I read scripture, and you'll find this is true at our Southeast Raleigh table, I'll normally end with this phrase, this is the word of God for us, the people of God, and then all of us together are invited to say, thanks be to God, okay? Let's just practice it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Because I don't want anyone being like, what are they all saying? Now you feel like you can lean in to this passage. Okay, so this uh, passage is a little, it's a little strange. It's a, a, a kind of a dialogue between Ezekiel, who is a prophet, and also God. And throughout this dialogue, uh, Ezekiel refers to God as God, but then um, God refers to Ezekiel as mortal. Like, hello, mortal. <laughs> Real specific. Uh, so that's how the dialogue goes. I don't want you to get a little confused as, um, as I read through this. But hear now these words from Ezekiel chapter 2 and the first three verses of Ezekiel chapter 3. And Ezekiel says this, He said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. God said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Notice how many times God has to say that they're so rebellious. <laughs> <clears throat> they shall know that there has been a prophet among them, and you, O mortal, do not be afraid of them, and do not be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns surround you, and you live among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words, and do not be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Y'all, God's like this, Ezekiel, I am sorry, but these people are not the best. <laughs> You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. <laughs> but you, mortal, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I looked, and a hand was stretched out to me, and a written scroll was in it. He spread it before me. It had writing on the front and on the back, and written on it were words of lamentation and mourning and woe. God said to me, O mortal, eat what is offered to you, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, Mortal, eat this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we oftentimes ask that you would open our ears or that you would open up the ears of our hearts. But today, as we stand before your feast, this good word, we invite you to open up our mouths that we might take in what it is that you want to give to us this day. So pour out goodness, 
Hand us faith and mercy. Give us power. And might we ingest these good gifts that the word would not be something that is beyond us, but that your word might be something that lives within us. Take my words hostage, O God, and make them your own. May they be to your glory and to your honor and your praise. We ask all of this in the strong name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Now, February probably felt like a month of relief for some of you. Um, I'm not going to ask you to give me a show of hands who decided to embark on Whole30 in January. Um, there were lots of folks who decided, oh my gosh, when February 1st rolled around, that no longer were they uh, going to be deprived of sugar or wine or any of the good things that they could not have during the month of January. A slice of bread probably looked like the most heavenly thing you have ever, ever, ever seen when February 1st came around. Now, this is the thing. When you're often with people who are in the midst of Whole30, you would think that it is sweet torture that they are going through. But over and over again, I have watched people embark on Whole30, talk about the challenges of Whole30, but then when the new year rolls around, they do Whole30 all over again. Why? Because you sleep better, because you have a gluten-free glow, because you have more energy, because all of a sudden you begin to realize that after you come out of the sugar shakes, that you are a better human being, that your workouts have a little bit more oomph to them, and that you just feel good. And it's because, whether we want to believe it or not, whenever we eat whole and good food, it will have good and positive effects on our health. When we eat good food, it will have positive effects on our health. This is true pretty much of most things in our lives, even when we're not talking about food. That whatever we consume, whether it be advice, whatever we consume, whatever we're uh, watching with our eyes or listening with our ears, that whatever we consume, who are the people who are around us, what are, are the ways in which we take in messages or that we dole out messages, that whatever we consume, somehow the output of that will be reflected in our lives. When we take in a whole lot of junk, we tend to put out a whole lot of junk. When we're with people who are incredibly negative, sometimes we become Debbie Downers and we also become negative. When we're around people who are joy-filled, we tend to look on the side of joy and not on the side of complaint. Whatever we consume somehow has an effect on our lives. And I think it's important for us to know this, that what goes in whenever it comes out that it will be reflected in the output. As we think about the spiritual practices um, that we have been leaning into over the past four weeks. Because as we talk about what does it look like to actually take in scripture, we believe that somehow it's going to have a beautiful uh, output in our lives. That the things that God wants to pour into us will be the things that God will also begin to do through us. So we have to be mindful of what we are consuming. That's why um, this particular passage of scripture might help us to also think how we might engage scripture as that which is good and that has actually uh, an output in our lives. 
that it's not just about an academic exercise or, or, or trying to somehow uh, delve into scripture in such a way that we pick scripture apart, but that literally just taking in scripture does something good in us and also something good through us. So God comes to the prophet Ezekiel, has chosen Ezekiel to be the spokesperson to God's people who happen to be in exile. And we hear over and over and over again that God's people who are in exile are incredibly rebellious. About 15 times it felt like God is like, they are a rebellious house. And their words are almost like scorpions, briars, and thorns. These are not people who are offering up sweet nothings to those that God sends. But Ezekiel is the one who gets chosen to go to be the spokesperson to speak a word of life and a word of challenge and a word of conviction to God's people. But before Ezekiel is sent out, God prepares Ezekiel on the high fiber uh, prophet diet, which is not unheard of for God. That before God is going to send um, a prophet to go speak a good word or a hard or a challenging word is that God first actually begins to shape the language of the prophet who's going to go on God's behalf. And there's typically some, some moment of preparation. For Moses, who did not um, feel like he was articulate of speech, God said, Moses, don't worry, I'm going to bring another person alongside you named Aaron, who's going to be your mouthpiece whenever you feel like your tongue gets stuck. Jeremiah, who's like, I'm just a boy. No one's going to want to hear what I've got to say. They're going to automatically dismiss me. Uh, uh, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I will give you the words. Or Isaiah, who's like, oh, Lord, if you only knew the ways in which I have used this mouth, not to bless, but to bless people out. And it says that an angel of the Lord takes a coal, like refiner's fire from the altar, and places it upon Isaiah's mouth, basically to refine the mouth that was used to curse to now be the mouth that blesses. But with Ezekiel, there's something a bit more embodied about the ways in which God actually prepares the prophet to go and to speak to this rebellious house. It says that once God has called Ezekiel, that he sees this hand stretched out from the heavens. You know, it's like when a parent is trying to uh, get their child, pretend like there is an airplane, you know, to open up their mouths, to eat the applesauce or whatever macerated food you have chosen to put in front of your child that particular day, that a, a hand from heaven has a scroll on it. And, and in this moment, asks Ezekiel to literally chew on the scroll to chew on the, what would be understood the sacred text, the, the, the word of God, inspired by God, to take these lamentations, mourning and woe, these words that God wants to speak over God's people who are so rebellious, that Ezekiel is going to literally ingest these words. Because when Ezekiel goes to God's people, it's not going to be his words that he relies on. What he has ingested become the words that actually Ezekiel speaks to the people of God. Now, this seems really strange. 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 It would be like me saying, I want you to open up your Bible right now and turn to Malachi, and I need you to just tear out that page, and if we all together might start nibbling on the page together, you'd be like, I can't come to this church anymore because a lot of sneaky stuff starts happening around the sermon time. Praise and worship was fine, but then the sermon, we started snacking on Malachi. I wanted to snack on Habakkuk. Um, <laughs> this is what's interesting. In the rabbinic tradition, there were moments when the rabbis who felt so tied to the sacred texts 
who felt so inspired by the words of God, who felt such an intimacy with, with the ways in which God would reveal God's self through the spoken and through the written word, that as a practice, they would literally drizzle honey, drizzle honey on those written scrolls and would ingest the word of God. There was this sense that literally you can have this kind of like this close relationship with the word that you would take it into the stomach and that it would be so sweet to you that the output of the goodness would then be reflected in your life. You, you, you only take in that which you actually believe might do something good in you. I'm gonna read also from um, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest uh, psalter in the, in the songbook of, um, of the Old Testament. I'm actually going to also make this your homework assignment for the week. I'm going to invite you not to try to read all of Psalm 119 at one time because there's like over 100 verses in Psalm 119, but to break up Psalm 119 throughout the week and to read this particular psalm. It's a beautiful uh, psalter that we have. But this is what Psalm 119 verses one, um, 103 to 105 says. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts or through your laws or through your teachings, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way, believing that God's way is the way of truth. Your word, O oh God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So again, we hear um, this kind of description that to take in God's word feels um, like an act of eating something or ingesting something that is sweet. For children who were learning the Torah, the first five books of what we know to be the Bible or the Old Testament, the rabbi would place honey on the bottom of a child's tongue so that they would always associate reading scripture with that which is sweet. I would actually encourage uh, some of you, whether it be a latte, or whether it be your favorite Danish, or whether it be some food that you actually really enjoy. I mean, truly, that when you sit down to begin to read scripture, that you ingest something that feels lovely for you so that you may begin to um, associate the reading of scripture with that which is good. That it doesn't have to be in a vacuum, but that in the same way that you can enjoy a treat or a delight, you can also enjoy the word of God. Whenever we have done Bible studies uh, uh, here, uh, not actually at our Southeast Raleigh table, but when I was still actively engaged at our other campus, we always got pastries from Yellow Dog to start off our time together. Because I know this is true. I have a beautiful relationship with scripture. When I open up my Bible, my many Bibles, some of them that are falling apart, I automatically have this, like, um, this feeling of nostalgia, a, a feeling of warmth when I read. I feel okay when I don't understand everything. I, I'm, I'm willing to kind of rest in that. But I know that for some of you in this room, that when you open up the book, you wonder, am I going to be injured by the words? Or, or you recognize the time when, when, the, when the word of God did not feel sweet, but it felt bitter? Not because it convicted or challenged us. Sometimes we are going to be convicted and challenged and stretched, but because the way in which the word of God was mediated to you, it felt more like something that sliced you to leave a wound than to slice you than to open you up. So if you have to then live into this practice of feasting on some things while you also feast on the word so that you might also reorient your relationship with scripture, by all means, do it. 
because this is what is true. God does not give to God's people bad gifts. And God does not force feed us anything that is not good for us. Every single time God opens up our mouths and invites us to take something in, it is always something that makes more of us. And that's so with scripture, that when you first start to take it in, you might think, mm, is it doing anything in me at all? But because it is a good gift, because it is a gift that grows us with time, the output of reading scripture, of feasting, literally snacking on the word, not tearing out the pages and putting it in your mouth, but ingesting it with your eyes and somehow your eyes having a conversation with your heart and your heart having a conversation with your mind and your mind being opened up by the most high God, that you begin to see that the output of that practice and exercise will reflect something beautiful in your life. You know, think about this. When you start to eat really well, when you start to decide that you are going to eat in a way that nourishes your body and not just in a way that satiates your desires, you will be the first person to begin to realize like, whoa, these pants are a little more loose than they were last month. Now the first week, you might not have recognized anything shifted or changed. But after a month, you might recognize something. I, I feel a bit more um, at home in my body. And then maybe after a month, not only do you notice the change that has come in your life because you are now ingesting good things, but the people around you are like, mm, what is going on with you? I want us to believe that more so with the food that we ingest, that more so with the advice that we receive, that more so than the people who sometimes surround us, that more so than all of the, uh, the, the words that we speak to ourselves, that there is this good work that has been offered to us, inspired by the Most High God, that can be opened up to us, that it brings about revelation, that we can be stretched and made new, that God's word, when we also choose to see it as a feast, as something that is good for us, that's something that will have output in our lives, that will relate to scripture as though it is good. And that when you begin to come to this gift of scripture, that you will believe that something will be different. Not that every single time you read that you have like the grandest vision or revelation, but that in reading, it might shift the way you think. That in reading, it might shift the way you talk. That in reading, it might shift the way in which you have relationships, the way that you are generous, that the way in which you are loving, the way in which you understand you have power or mercy to dole out or to give, or even that it might be the means of comfort or grace or love that's mediated in your own lives because you were courageous enough to take tiny bites out of the feast of scripture that God has given. And that we come with this openness and this belief that we become what we eat. So next week, we're going to talk about how we engage. But today, I want to just invite us to see scripture as a gift. Um, as our worship team comes back, 
I'm going to invite you to, um, to close your eyes. Because I want to walk us through a guided prayer that might shift our relationship with Scripture. That we might have an openness this morning to trusting that Scripture is good. That scripture is good even if we understand it. The scripture is good even when it confuses and challenges. That scripture is to grow us. It's not filled with words that would diminish our humanity or threaten our personhood. but instead speaks to the fullness thereof of who God has called us to be. That this might be a morning that we might believe that scripture is not intended to trip us up or to cause us to fall into a pit or to forever highlight what we are not or who we are not. But instead, it is a gift that reminds us who we can be and how God is at work in the world and also in us. Gracious God, would you make us hungry for your word? We confess that sometimes it feels like these words are archaic or we're not quite sure where to start or we don't know where, what it all means. But God, make us hungry that we would actually want to open up these words, that it would not feel like a bitter rod but throughout our lives, because it is whole, because it is good, because it is of you, that it is good, and that your word will make more of us. We started, Lord, asking that you would open up our mouths. We will end, Lord asking that you would open our mouths, that gently, like a loving parent, you might feed us, and that we might see the beauty and the goodness of feasting at your word. We ask this simple prayer in the strong name Jesus Christ, who we call the living word. Amen.